Hello, welcome to this episode of Incidacast. So, you're lost? Confused? Your map doesn't make sense? You forgot sat-maps exist? Well, don't worry, this film has you covered as we look at 2007's Vacancy. back there? Oh! Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Things get a little boring around here late nights. <laughs> I believe that. Hello everyone. Welcome back to yet another episode here at Incidacast. We're going to be reviewing another horror film from the early 2000s. Quite a lot of that period that uh, worth noting. And this is something that I haven't seen in years, like so many years. And I had to rewatch this just to kind of familiarize myself with this film. Um, kind of perplexed, actually, because I knew this film existed. But there was also another film that I was very um, eager to watch. But I can't remember the name of it. But it was something very similar where people stayed in some kind of motel on the side of the road. But it turns out they were actually in some kind of car accident. I can't remember. If anyone can remember that, let me know. But... This was still a good film to go back to. Big shout out to Kate Beckinsale for being in a film that's not about vampires, which is always good. Big fan of uh, Kate Beckinsale, but she does um, she does kind of like to stick to her thing, and that's sort of like it's very admirable. But it's also nice to see her do something a little bit different, uh, especially within horror. And in this, she plays just a generic woman, <laughs> I guess who uh, obviously has suffered some loss of a child, which is sad. But I think the main issue that um, Kate has with Luke Wilson, they both play um, two characters called Amy and uh, David Fox. And basically they're sort of going somewhere. Um, not quite sure where, but they have a map. And there's some kind of... References to the the marriage breaking down because they lost a child. There's no kind of real outlining situation of what happened to that child or why any of them are particularly to blame. Like, why isn't this something they're grieving together? Why is this something that is targeted at each other in with such resentment? And I know, like, it's probably very difficult to uh, deal with this type of stuff, but it does come across a little bit weird. And the entire start of this film felt like this to me. It always kind of reminds me of being in school, right? So one of the things they always taught you in drama is that the easiest emotion to fake, or rather like act convincingly, is anger. And it's because it doesn't really require a lot of depth to pretend that you're angry with somebody. You just have to shout loud and aggressively. And I kind of feel like that's the first, like, 15 minutes of this film there's so much anger and passive aggressiveness between these two people it's sort of like you don't even understand why they're even angry at each other and why this is continuing and why they're even in the car together and yeah there's a bit where like you know amy sort of looks at um a photo of a child and cries a little bit that kind of gives you a little bit of a hint but nothing set in the story 
that gives you that. There's no flashback. There's no background. You're just presented with two people in a car who are just angry at each other for the first, like, 15 minutes of the film with no real, like, depth apart from that. It's very, very bizarre. But anyway, this kind of pursues... They get somehow spun around by a raccoon, and this means now they don't know where they are, even though it's one road that either goes one way or the other way. And it also then kind of suggests that they've driven back on themselves for miles with one not actually remembering the fact that they're doing this, right? So the fact that the map doesn't correlate to the left and right motions that they're doing on the road, but also if they find the motel in the garage, what wasn't there last time when they drove that way, that's very confusing. Because when they spoke to the um the mechanic guy, or rather the person at the gas station, you know, he said, well, the place you meant to go is behind you. But they thought they were going towards it. So if it's back where they came... How does that make sense? I, I don't understand. But <laughs> anyway, maybe it's something else on the map that they're just not quite showing us. So they uh, they arrive at um, the, the station and they, they carry on for a little bit. Um, they break down. They have to walk back. And then a motel appears. Pretty sure that motel wasn't there when they initially arrived. One... They didn't mention it. Two, I guess it wasn't shown in shot, so maybe it could have been there, but they just didn't want to show the audience specifically. But that seemed like a better place to do something, considering the fact that they wanted a car mechanic and that had a phone. So they could have just rang a station whilst they were there before they drove away. Kind of bizarre. Of course, retrospectively... One thing that's kind of cool, I think we know that the mechanic guy was probably one of the uh, masked individuals in this film. In which case, then, he's probably the one who, like, damaged that car when he had a look at it. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, I think the whole, like, intro part of this, for me, was just really confusing and misguided. Even when they um, check into a room, which, by the way, um, the manager is called Mason. He's played by Frank Whaley. He's really cool. He's like the highlight of the film, and I wrote that in the notes. He's like super interesting. I don't get me wrong. Luke Wilson does a really good job as well. He comes across really competent in this film. And unfortunately, Kate Beckinsale with Amy falls into this kind of bewildered emotional wife sort of trope that a lot of horror films had back in the day where it's like, and I really hate this, but sometimes like they just do this in horror films where they just portray like women to be like an inconvenience to what's going on you know what I mean like you just sit there you just stay in the corner you just hide you just stay out the way whilst I'll deal with everything you know and it, it's nice that that turned around towards the end of the film where she sort of became the savior of the day that that's a nice spin on stuff but obviously when you look back now in these sort of older horror films you, you do see this stuff a little bit more commonly than you see today. I think today things feel a bit more balanced, you know? Um, to the point where I think men become more of the victims and women become more of the survivors. And I think that kind of like hits like this equilibrium middle ground where like 
it becomes more about the judgment of the character of the person on how well they do in like these horror scenarios as opposed to like oh like you're just the wife so you need to like hide whilst I do nothing but get stabbed <laughs> so when they, they check into this hotel obviously there's some creepy things going on with the manager some pretty loud noises going on in the back which basically sounds like someone's being murdered and I kind of agree with Kate that you should have just legged it really I don't know why you would have stayed there but when things sort of escalated to that next level that's when the film really got interesting for me because we stopped all this like pointless bickering even though it kind of like continued for a little bit most of it kind of stopped and now we could just focus on like actually showing some character depth and, and moving on with the plot and it's not just like endless shouting at each other and, and being really sly and horrible to each other and to be fair, later on in the film, they do have a good moment where they kind of reconcile that difference and sort of get over it, you know, and be like, I'm sorry. That was nice. Shame it took, like, potentially dying and being murdered to get to that point, but that's what life does. It gives you these perspectives. Yeah, so they sort of check into a room. It's kind of cool. It's got some nice, like, psycho vibes, this, uh, which I really, like, appreciated. And I like how they have a lot of lingering shots on... The, the manager, you know, kind of shows, like, what he's doing off-screen that the characters don't know. That's kind of cool. I like that kind of thing. I wish we could see a bit more of that sometimes in some horror films because it tends to be more about the surprise and the jump scare when really sometimes, like, you can see that doubt and suspicion by showing someone who is suspicious doing something when no one else is around, you know, and you have that sort of, like, downtime with them. I think this film does that, and I think it's pretty cool. The room that they check into is obviously quite bleak and monotone and gross and shit. And I think, I don't know, this probably sums up a lot of motels in America. I haven't been to one personally, but I think this one looked particularly bad. And they sort of find these videotapes, and this is kind of like some of the most serious stuff kicks in because they realize that the videotape that they're watching is in the room that they're in and then they're sort of realizing that they're potentially being watched and David clocks onto this quite early and he starts to recognize potential where the cameras are and look at where they are and he finds the cameras are in place. I think two really big things about this. One, I don't know why he didn't try and cover up the cameras or anything earlier, um, or at least pull them out, considering he knows where all of them are very early. And if there's no cameras, there's no film. And if there's no film, potentially there's no deaths. I don't know. Or at least you sort of force them to do something different. But the second thing um, I think is a bit more of a real thing, which I, I have seen on various videos in America about the kind of fear of these types of motel suites or like rent room type of things uh, having cameras in them uh there was a whole thing about like some news reporting thing that i saw where basically like these people who owns these sort of houses or like rooms um have miniature cameras installed in like mirrors and clocks and everything so they can like watch people 
and they potentially do this one to be like monitoring things are okay in case something bad or criminal happens and they have like footage that's fair enough but also like some people might do it just because the pervs and you know i think this is kind of spooky because this is something where like a film made in 2007 correlates quite a lot with things that are happening in modern day and there's something kind of just unnerving about that you know 15 years later and just becomes more relevant than it was back then when it was probably just like some kind of gimmicky thing someone made up for the sake of a creepy factor so they watched like a few of these videotapes obviously they're very gross and grotesque and, and horrible pretty much they're just snuff films and i think that's kind of what this film sort of is which it shows that people create snuff films and it's kind of weird this became quite a big thing in sort of this 2000 era you know sort of 2000 2010 there was a lot of emphasis on snuff films in horror films you know things like hostel things like god serbian film and other other sort of mess like that you know there was so much emphasis on like rich people and secret societies and, and people that buy snuff films and watch people get tortured and murdered and stuff I don't know what kind of sparked this whole thing at that time period. I don't know if there's just a fear of people just... It, it made, I don't know if it's just like a kind of reference to this, like, the whole, like, 70s, like, 70s, 80s sort of, like, stranger danger, that type of thing. Or if this is something a bit more, like, entrenched. Maybe there's something more within the media or within the culture or within the news at the time that kind of give people, like, genuine fears about this type of stuff. Because I feel like snuff films just have probably always existed to some degree... But it just seems kind of weird that so many films emphasise this in this time period. Or it could just be that something like Hostel was just a really unique success. And a lot of films wanted to kind of capitalise on that. Because if I'm not mistaken, Hostel came out in 2005, which is like two years earlier than this. But, yeah, I don't know. I kind of speculate with some things, you know. And there's a lot of things that this film is very similar to. You know, like a very small cast of people within like a small room you know think about things that came out at this time like 1408 came out around this time uh really really successful the strangers came out the year after which is in some ways very similar to this actually hostel like i said came out in 2005 a serbian film came out a few years late in 2010 but you know same kind of a vibe really kind of makes you think very um very niche thing to keep coming up. So these videotapes sort of uh, correlate to banging that they hear in the room next door, on the room door. And this does have some element of creep factor to it. And it does kind of freak you out. You know, because it's like a scary situation. For me, at least, I think this kind of drags on a little bit too long. <laughs> to the point where, like, the film just sort of, it feels like it's saying, loud banging is scary, and you're just like, yes, for a little while. <laughs> but this film's like, no, 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 loud banging is scary. And you're like, yes, yes it is. But what becomes more scary is going outside and actually seeing masked people uh, coming at them. The masks in this film are pretty creepy. Uh, it kind of reminds me of some of the more modern Slipknot masks, which is kind of bizarre. 
kind of like Corey Taylor's new mask. Uh, kind of like some of the things that Sid has done. You know, this kind of like face, but not a face. You know what I mean? Like there's facial features, but it's kind of uh, washed out. So it's not defined or specific. That's kind of cool. It's kind of creepy. It gives you that kind of uncanny valley feeling when you look at it. And I do like the killers as well, even though they kind of don't really do anything. You know, most of the actual killing and, and violence that happens are within the tapes. And don't get me wrong, they kind of comment on this. Uh, Kate Beckinsale sort of mentioned this, I think, in an interview about this film where she says, you know, it's nice to create uh, some contribution to horror that's, you know, not based on gore and it's more based on, like, psychological and stuff. Which is totally true. I would argue there's not a lot of psychological elements to this film, to be honest. Yeah, there's some sort of toying with people and, you know, snuff films are kind of bad to look at, I guess. But I think when they think about when I think about psychological horror, I feel like something that plays with the audience a lot. And playing with the audience could be like one of two things. So one is that like you can keep people guessing a lot, right? So people really get confused about like what's going on, but you know that there's something going on. So an example could be like um, hereditary or even to some degree like sixth sense, you know, where like there's something not quite explained as you're watching it and therefore like it requires a bit more of your brain to sort of figure it out. The other type of psychological horror is uh, things that are purely just for shock factor and purely for things that are like just trying to make you feel really weird and messed up. So probably things like Human Centipede and you know Suspiria and like all those types of stuff with things are a little bit more like abstract and unusual and you know, there's some crossover, you do have to do a little bit more thinking, but I think that kind of has a bit more shock factor. This film doesn't really have any of that. It's actually quite basic, structurally and narratively, it's very basic. But that doesn't mean that it's bad, it does work, but I don't think it's particularly psychological, nor obviously is it gory in any way. So it kind of doesn't achieve any. I think it's just very, like, yeah, But it works, because... There's nothing within this that can go wrong, especially because the cast is small. The cast are pretty good actors. So the only thing that you could really mess this up is, like, the writing and sort of the directing. But the writing's really good and the directing's really good. Uh, there's a sequence in this where they sort of go through the tunnels. The whole tunnel sequences are amazing. There's a lot of good camera work. There's a lot of good cameras sort of misdirect where you think people are looking one way and then the other way and you think that the two like tunnels sort of will meet with each other but they don't because they're two in completely different places you know you never fully get the scope of how big these tunnels are so it can kind of play with you a little bit like that which is kind of nice i think even just the reveal of having the tunnels was cool like discovering the um the trap door in the bathroom you know it was all these really good like little breadcrumbs and things sort of reward what the characters within the film are doing. So, if we take just um, the discovery of the trapdoor with the tunnels as an example. So we have a character who, like, is watching the tapes, which you can perceive as being just for the sake of it, but actually he's trying to gain information. This information is rewarded in the fact that, like, he's controlling what the people see, and then he's using the information within the tapes to discover where people come in and out of the property. And 
searching in a bathroom, because it has to be in the bathroom, is how he discovers the trapdoor. And he discovers the trapdoor in a pretty organic way. You know, he's sort of like piecing things together. You know, he sort of fixes the curtain, closes that type of thing. And he discovers it purely by accident. And like, that's very rewarding to watch because you think the character's doing things that are smart. This is kind of what I said earlier. Like, David, quote unquote, in this film, is very competent. The whole thing, you know, he does have like a bit of a pop at Amy about this, saying, like, I'm trying my best. But he thinks about things very, very logically and he dissects stuff and he makes it work because he's actually in real time understanding what is in front of him and figuring out how this can turn into him surviving. And it works. You know, this isn't people being stupid in horror films. This is actually people making very sensible, smart decisions. And in a way, that gives the audience a lot of respect. This film treats you with respect. It sort of says, like, we know that it's not going to have a lot of these flashy, typical Hollywood horror things. So what we're not going to do is also throw in dumb, stupid characters at the same time. It's like, no, actually, we're going to really focus on making everything make sense. And for me, I think it works. Massively. So they take these tunnels, they arrive into some pretty interesting places. The first one being the manager's office. This is where they sort of discover the fact that a lot of these tapes are being edited, put together. Obviously, some random guy came in a truck and took some tapes away for whatever reason. So clearly, these are being sold to somebody. And you get this real sense of, like, scope, right? So it's like this it's a small niche little motel in the middle of nowhere. There's a lot of scope to this. There's a lot of videotapes, which means there's a lot of victims. It's gone on for a long time. They've never been caught. There's never been any suspicion about this place. But they have a lot of tapes and a lot of buyers. You know, that sort of hints at a expanded universe that these people live in, which is kind of kind of cool. Here they manage to actually make contact with the police, which, and the police eventually do come, and they're sort of a really cool, clever misdirect again, where we're equally as suspicious of the police as the characters, because we don't know if the police is real. Obviously, we discover that the police are real. The characters discover that as well. So again, we're all on the same page at this point, and they're trying to escape. It doesn't really work out, because... Uh, obviously they've messed with the police car and the police gets killed. I don't know why, after this point, this is potentially the only moment of stupidity. I'm pretty sure they've sat in a car with a shotgun. don't know why they didn't take that shotgun. don't know why they didn't go back for the police gun, which was in the street, as opposed to, you know, worrying about other types of weapons that they could find anywhere else. You know, that is there for the taking and it's outside the car that you're in. Like, grab it, you know? But I guess some allowances are going to have to be made. They make it back to the room. And again, some really clever stuff here. So they they put Amy into the attic. And then they, they rip off, like, a piece of her shirt or something. And they attach it to, like, a broken window to show that she's run away. You know, like a fake breadcrumb. Pretty clever. You know what I mean? Like I said, this show's this David guy, to be, like, super competent into what's going on. And he unfortunately just gets stabbed, because obviously they're waiting for him to come outside, and he just steps outside, and blah, blah. 
but it's still cool to see like how a lot of his thoughts pay off in the sense that like they really do think that she's escaped. This is where uh, daylight then comes, and Amy decides to leave as he's stabbed. She sees like a spooky guy in the bathroom, so she runs away. She heads for a car. She makes the car run. Guy breaks through and he's like swirling on the top. Pretty cool stuff. You know, nice like stunt work. And she drives straight into a building. Well, into the hotel. Killing both of the killers. So the only person left is the manager, which is pretty cool. And he seems to be like probably like the most unstable person there. So it's kind of a win. And this is where she sort of really takes on this almost like final girl moment where she sort of takes control and takes charge and she gets beaten up. You know, I, I was hoping that Kate Beckinsale did such a good job towards the end of this film. Like, such a good job. I mean, she got thrown over tables. She got, like, dragged across the floor by her hair, which I'm sure, like, isn't, like, 100% real, but still really good. And then she sells, like, every minute of it. You know, every single minute. Obviously, it's kind of stupid that she gets thrown on top of a gun. Uh, which, obviously, then she shoots the manager and he dies. And, but still, it was nice to see, like, some fight back and to see that that really works. And it, it makes you feel like it's reality and it's still the real world. And even though it feels like we're in some kind of crazy echo chamber of murdering people that actually no we're still in the real world and people can still die and the police can still come and you can still be saved which is still quite nice amy then walks over to david who's on the floor still from last night basically he's been unconscious for hours but like in any good film a simple stroke of the hair and they just come back to life it's just magical uh <laughs> but of course He's alive, so that's fine. So, she runs back, grabs the phone wire, phones the police, and reports everything in. Towards the end of the film, this just kind of wraps up, really. It's actually quite straightforward, this film. It's not too complex, but... Like I said, it, it, it does work. There's a lot of really good suspense and good tension in this film. And it, it is true... And it is a good testimony that you don't need to have loads of gore to make like an effective horror film. You don't even need a lot of action and a lot of crazy stuff happening to make a successful horror film. This kind of proves that in many ways. Which to me seems very, very crazy that we haven't seen more films like this. It also seems kind of crazy that this director has barely done anything. I mean, like, he has made... He has 12 directing credits... Since 1994. <laughs> Which is just absolutely crazy. I think that's kind of a shame. I think there is a lot of really good camera work in this film. And I think, you know, although the characters are a bit thin and lack a lot of depth, and the story is pretty basic, and maybe the film could have benefited from a little bit more blood, you know, just to sell some things a little bit more. I think it was still really, really solid. And I'm surprised by how much more this guy could have done that could have been good to watch. Anyway, so this is my sort of short summary of Vacancy, which was released in 2007. 
I did enjoy it. Do let me know what you think. There's going to be another poll down below where you get to rate it out of five. All of these polls are going to last a week. So do feel free to click it and send your result because I want to know what other people rate this. I think for me personally, I'm going to give this a three and a half out of five. I think there's a lot of juicy stuff in this, a lot of things to chew on. Even though it does lack some finer detail and a bit more depth and character development, it still is an entertaining film that doesn't fall on a lot of cliches. It does try and treat the audience with a lot of respect. And because of that, I respect this film. I really, really do. It holds well, even today. Do check out the links attached to check out the other platforms I'm on, such as Twitter, Discord, Instagram, YouTube, all the good ones. And start some conversation with me, because I'm always interested in what people have to say about this. Do let me know on any of these platforms if there's anything specific you'd like me to cover. Uh, the Train to Busan episode is still in the wax. That will come. Just a bit more of technical stuff which you need to work out. But aside from that, I'm going to be cranking out some more content. I'm going to be doing some more reviews and stuff today. I am going to be transferring stuff over to YouTube soon as well. So please do check out the YouTube. Give me uh, a little subscribe on there. I'm going to potentially make some specific YouTube content as well that's separate from the podcast. So best way to check that out is by going over and subscribing. You know, I think so. For now, this has been your host, Phil, here at Incidacast. I will see you all in the next one.